I mean, but like, this is something that I, I realized in like sprinkling it into my YouTube playlist. Um, and I don't know if this was a consequence of what was playing on the radio station that my grandparents listened to on Sunday morning on the way to church, but mm. like all of those songs, all of those songs were about infidelity. The views expressed on this recording are solely those of the artists, and by no means do we encourage or condone violence against law officials. Oh, it's for you. It's for you. Hello and welcome to Blue Cheese with me, Ebony L. Haynes. Blue Cheese is a limited podcast series where I invite a friend slash artist to respond to this prompt. Name a song that you currently have on repeat or one of your regular playlist go-tos. That song is then the catalyst for a very fun, casual, unscripted conversation that leads us to wherever we want to go. Joining me on this episode is Jeremy Toussaint-Baptiste, an artist who currently lives and works in Brooklyn, New York. And Jeremy's episode is brought to you by Don't Ask My Neighbors by The Emotions. In this episode, we talk about The Emotions, gospel music, grandparents, pledging fraternities, and stepping, uh, just to name a few. And here's a clip of the song. Please welcome Jeremy to St. Baptiste. Jeremy, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. I'm excited too. Um, I'm excited for many reasons. One, I feel like we don't get opportunities at all, or not as many opportunities these days, um, we in the general term, to really talk to one another for longer than a few minutes at a time. This feels like a real luxury. So um, thanks for doing this. And Number two, the other reason I'm excited is out of um, m- all of the nine responses I got for song, you know, immediate song reactions, suggestions, regular go-tos, you were the only old school one. Really? Yeah. Um, 
mean, I'm old. <laughs> no. That's not why. I mean, I mean, you're not that old. Um, but it was just interesting because I'd thought there would be more of those kinds of suggestions, but there were, I mean, they've all been really surprising, which has been so fun for me too. As I mentioned, this show is brought to you by Don't Ask My Neighbors by The Emotions. And I know what I want to say about this song, but I'm curious to know um, in what way, or is there a way that this is your go-to? Do you kind of just get in the mood and want to listen to it? Are you an Emotions fan? Like it's a it's a sort of like sonic realm that I just love. Um, mm-hmm. I don't listen to a lot of super new or contemporary music. Um, I go I go back to like stuff that either like brings like up a memory or a feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, and this one, as well as like a few other songs, um, really like. For a few months during during the pandemic, um, several nights a week, I would just like pour myself a drink, start slowly making something for dinner, and this would be the start of my playlist. And it's always a YouTube playlist. Like I'm not like listening to the emotions on Spotify, right? Um, or Apple Music or like Tidal. Like it doesn't feel appropriate to like listen to it through the like shiniest channels and youtube is like maybe the closest thing to a cassette or a radio hmm. um and in, in terms of like the internet being able to pull up something on demand um but yeah this would be this would be like the start of my playlist and maybe like four songs later drops back into the playlist and a couple songs later like i keep coming back to it and it's it's such a like like i keep unpacking the lyrics as I listen to it and there's so much there mm-hmm, I think mm-hmm. um, like I grew up thinking about like that don't ask my neighbor come to me in a very different way than I think what may be implied in the song in what way yeah. uh, it was kind of a like and this was I was still riding with my grandparents in church in the morning when this mm. would be on the radio. So, like, I had to be five or six, mm-hmm. maybe. Yeah, like, not even seven years old or something like that. And so my understanding of it was, like, if you got a problem with me, come with me. Mm. Don't ask nobody about me. Like, come, come talk to me about <laughs> it. <laughs> Which is very much so, like, me. Um, if, if you got a thing, like, come talk to me about it. Um, yeah. Um. And it was obviously way more of like a sort of like flirtatious or like sultry back and forth. Yeah. Um, that like my little young ass brain <laughs> at that point. <laughs> I mean, it's interesting. I mean, you were on your way to church with your grandparents and I don't know much about the emotions. Um, I do know some of, you know, I, I associated that group with the, the hits, you know, mm-hmm. best of my love for those who aren't familiar they also um i should i should have done some fact checking before but i'm gonna quickly look 
while I'm talking. Yes, they were on Boogie Wonderland with Earth, Wind, and Fire. Um, that's where I remember the the name, the emotions. But they also um, were in. They sang gospel before they were R and B and soul singers. Um, I don't know why. I don't know the the kind of the how the group was formed or if they were. Do you know if they were sisters or friends or? I have no idea. Yeah, I haven't like gone to the Wikipedia or. Me or neither. That. I'm just like living in the sound. No, it's good. It. That's the whole point. I don't want us to really know anymore. But they, I'm, I'm, I know they were gospel before, um, so, they were soul. But you didn't know that. But you were listening to them on your way to church. Right. I mean, but like, this is something that I I realized in like sprinkling it into my YouTube playlist. Um, and I don't know if this was a consequence of what was playing on the radio station that my grandparents listened to on Sunday morning on the way to church, but mm. like all of those songs, all of those songs were about infidelity. Yes. <laughs> and like, and like soft sex. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and it really pressed my understanding of my grandparents or like what I thought of my grandparents into a different light. switch it to Mahalia Jackson or something like that. Like, they let it they let it ride. And when it came on the next Sunday, they let it ride. And the next Sunday, to the point where, like, you know, 30-some-odd years later, I'm like, oh, that's what I feel like listening to, and boom, it drops me back there. And it's like, there is no other context for that song for me. Right. That's so um, interesting. Yeah. But I'm also like, what were my grandparents after? Or, like, into? <laughs> My grandmother's still alive, but, you know, that's that's some shit you don't ask on grown folks. Like, I'm old, but I'm not grown like that. I mean, asking your grandparents about why they listen to songs about infidelities, that will get you into a place with your grandparents you don't want to be. Yeah. Um, that's so true, though. Like, why were all those soul songs? I was actually, there was a podcast someone sent me. I feel so terrible for not being able to give proper credit to this, but um, it they were dissecting... So the song lyrics for um, You Taste Just Like Candy mm. and that disco song and how it actually was about cocaine. Yeah. And it was Cameo, right? Yeah, it was Candy. It was Nose Candy. But it was the, just the, like... The group was Cameo, right? It's Cameo. Yeah, sorry. Cameo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah um, saying they're just like people are just imagine 
people dancing under a disco ball to the lyrics about doing drugs in a discotheque. Right. Um, I mean, I can't imagine that because, you know, I can't imagine what it is to even be in a room dancing with people right now. Fair. Like doing, doing things. Yeah, that's fair. Um, Um, it's funny about the, the era of this, of this song with the emotions. And so this, so everyone listening, emotions were, I would say generally like mid to late seventies, maybe, maybe they transferred over into the eighties, right? Like mid to late eighties, probably. Yeah. I would say like mid seventies to mid eighties. Um, the glory days days. and they did actually so I I totally fibbed I did do one search because I also you know in my I'm also old so in my younger days I was super um, obsessed with breaks and samples and I was convinced that I had seen a 45 in you know like people would share their break collections and the emotions just triggered a memory. And so I did do one of my, my sample searches. And sure enough, I mean, LL Cool J, Kanye West, um, Cool Modi, uh, who else sampled it? Like Mariah, some Mariah Carey songs, some other pop songs. There are so many emotions samples. Right. Um, I mean, like, the best of my love. <laughs> Again, thinking about, like, my grandparents' house. Uh, that You remember that song, My Baby Daddy? Mm-hmm. Mm. That's just my baby daddy. That's right. That's like, best of my love. That that melody sample. That's right. Yeah, I terrorized my grandparents with that song. Did you did you make the connection between the the best of my love and just now? Just now. Just now. Like I mean, of course, it, it, it like at a gut level, like you know what that sample is. Yeah. But just like calling it and saying, "Oh, that's actually the best of my love." Um, no, right now. It's so funny. I mean, I so many of my friends who I mean, all of these new rappers. God, I never thought I would talk like this. You know, I never thought I would be that person who sounds like they can't adapt with the times. But that's not actually what I'm saying. I definitely can, like, I got a little baby on my playlist, but I also have, you know, UMCs. I titled this this podcast Blue, uh, Blue Cheese. So I don't think I'm aging myself out of the game, but I do find myself having conversations with so many um people more than I'd expect who have no reference of whatever hot new songs original references you know like what was that song that came out a while ago um the the Swiss beat song and it was sampling G-Dep's special delivery with like the the original Harlem Shake song and nobody knew G-Dep special delivery Yeah, 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 yeah
Hey, yo, Mac, ladies and truck. gentlemen. I'm dating myself. Um, I mean, it, what does that mean, though? Like, I, it's, it, isn't it kind of weird that we have access to all of the things, but the history is, like, still sort of, like, obfuscated? Or just, like, lost? I don't know. I feel like it, it's a it's indicative of everybody's inability to care or pay attention. because right. Because I think at one time there was pride in in mentioning those references and almost paying homage to you know you have a Shaka Khan sample or an emotion sample um but now people just chop it up and screw it and claim it's their own or don't claim it but don't you know um explicitly say that it's someone else right um just think also like I don't know I used to obsessively read record notes or like CD liner notes and tape liner notes and I don't do that unless I buy the record now. Um, so, like, maybe that's a part of it. Folks aren't necessarily sitting with a physical media thing, piece of physical medium. That's so but true. Maybe, um, yeah, it's so it's such a different experience. I mean, I, yeah, I used to, you know, I have a collection of LPs. But even if you didn't want to go that far, old school, and you were at least buying CDs you know remember like cracking open that cd and pulling out the insert to read all of oh, the yes. stuff about the songs and sometimes oh, yes. sometimes you'd hit the jackpot and the lyrics would be printed inside mm-hmm. um and then you see the production credits and the thank yous and the samples and yeah there's really not that medium anymore yeah like that's how i learned what the fucking interpolation is mm. as opposed to just a sample of something Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a big thing, like being able to not sample something, but to actually be able to cite it yourself mm-hmm. and fuck with it and revise it. Um, and I mean, being from the South and growing up, I mean, I listened to East Coast rap as sort of an escapist thing. Um, but I was still surrounded by Southern and West Coast rap and just the way that there was a musicality to it mm-hmm. um, was something that is something that has stuck with me. And like bass, like that was always the like most musical um, or maybe like lyrical instrument within a Southern or West Coast rap thing. Mm-hmm. Um and so yeah, like all like none of them talk about what they sampled in the liner notes. It's always like interpolated from and by, you know, Eric Wright the third. Yeah, that's true. Rights. Yeah. It it's true. I mean, do you feel like you have a, a particular ear for bass lines? Yes. Yeah. 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 I sort I of I and I almost I, I almost I think I asked that question knowing the answer, but I'd like, yeah, t- tell everybody a bit more. <laughs> I mean, like, it could be taken, or, you know, I work with bass, um, but it's very different from, like, listening to sort of, like, the foundation of, of a song. 
mm-hmm. and, and the thing that sort of like steers the song um and i don't know what primes me to to start listening to bass lines as opposed to bass like i can speak pretty clearly about like why i care about bass as a set of frequencies but like the motion of a bass line i think excuse me Hmm. um i don't know i think looking watching music videos the bass player was always the coolest person to me Mm -hmm. um there were a lot of black people playing bass michelle and dege ocello oh um, man vernon reed or i'm sorry uh i think doug wimbush is who i'm thinking of it's either vernon reed or doug wimbush uh from living color um and and then my godfather was like i got a bass you should come over and play it um there's a thing called slap bass where you hit it and it does a thing it makes this weird sound mm-hmm. um and I went over and started taking to it, and then my parents uh, sort of, like, prohibited me from going over and playing it ever again. Why is that? Uh, sort of grew up in a in a household where I had to hide or still steal away to listen to, like, rock music or, mm. um, like, less traditional forms of rap. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um... And, like, bass, like, the only rock that was allowed in the house was Prince, which, thank goodness, that was allowed. That's Prince. not bad. That's not a bad not one bad to get in there. Yeah. Um, but also, Prince was a phenomenal bass player, so let a nigga play bass. Like, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, go ahead, sorry. Oh, and I, I don't really play as much anymore, um, but I still have a bass and and maybe like once or twice a year will it'll leave the apartment with me and I'll make some loud noise in his face. That sounds fun. Yeah. I mean, I asked that question about bass because of course I have physically experienced um, your affinity for bass lines and frequencies. Right. Um, in really the best way. I was just talking about it today with an artist who I was doing a virtual studio visit with and we're sort of talking about doing grand installations. And I, I cited that show we did together in mm. that it felt maybe upon first glance minimal in its installation, but was, I mean, the room was full. The yeah. whole, the whole gallery was full with frequency and vibration. Um, there's really no question to that. It's just a little, a little thought about, <laughs> about experiencing like, it. Did you ever think that it felt loud? No. That's the interesting thing. No. It's like, how do you, how do you like really shake some shit up and like physically shake some shit up and bring a weight or a heaviness without necessarily needing to be loud? Holy fuck. Um, that just, blew- like coming- yeah. Yeah, and, like, coming from an extreme music background and, you know, like, metal and really aggressive rap and heavy bass music and electronic music, it can be, it's always sort of presumed that, like, you gotta be loud to be heavy, but you don't necessarily have to. 
Um, yeah. And that can mean a lot of things. I mean, playing with those frequencies, now just hearing you say that out loud, not only did it not have to be loud, um, the physicality of it had nothing to do with the audio level. Right. Like, uh, I mean, it was disorienting. It was so guttural, which was awesome. I'm, I'm reflecting on it right now. I'm, just, I'm kind of staring up into space. For everyone listening, I mean, if you ever had a chance to experience um, an installation like this, it's, I mean, it's pretty fucking cool. I've never really, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, now I'm, I'm going to have to edit this, but, because I'm just, th- I'm really thinking through it. I didn't, I never really connected the dots, even though we've spoken at length in your, you know, in your studio and while putting on the show about frequencies and playing with vibration and, um, you know, making it almost like it's a performance itself and listening is a performance as well. It never really connected about audio level, just basic volume because volume never had anything to fucking do with it. Except when the neighbors started complaining that the vibration was too much. That's it. It's the vibration though. It's not the volume. Yeah. They weren't hearing anything that was disturbing them. Um, and then, but, like, try and think of moments. I, I try and challenge myself to think of moments where that sort of phenomena exists in the real world. Mm. Like, what are moments when my life is still and quiet enough where, like, I don't necessarily hear something, but, like, I feel a vibration that sort of resonates through the space? Mm-hmm. Um, and like I live on the sixth floor and the train stop is on my block so one of the very frequent things I experience is like a very soft shaking of my apartment from the train Um, and not in the way that like oh the the LIRR is going going outside of the window so like shit is like really shaking Mm -hmm. um no, it's like you have to be sitting really still and maybe not listening to anything or watching anything or doing anything. And you realize that, oh, there's a soft shake that you feel even six floors up, mm-hmm. um, which is really kind of nice. Do you find yourself, I know you have like a, a sensibility, there's this level of sensibilities for frequency and maybe baselines and, or affinity to them at least. Do you... Um, I don't know if this sounds weird, but do you, this kind of thing of noticing the vibrations that might be coming six floors up or down and do you feel things like that going through the city in other ways? Like, do you feel like you're aware of frequencies? Mostly the ones that I hear, Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, uh, mostly the ones that I feel. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that the, you know, the greatest sonic actor through the city is is the train mm-hmm. um and our in our tunnel system that you know that's a it's a really crazy network but it's also like a series of um like structures that that allow sound to travel in a very particular way mm-hmm. i think and i mean construction's another one that i feel mm-hmm. um 
beyond like beyond that i i'm also really sensitive to like in a more negative sense to really high pitches Mm. so like really really high frequencies um that folks may not hear or may not recognize that they're experiencing um really quickly start to grate on me whereas like it might take minutes or hours for someone else to recognize that they've been sort of in some way listening to this gratingly high pitch or frequency like um minnie ripperton hitting a really high note (laughs) (laughs) i'm super good with that me too i was thinking minnie ripperton actually came up in um the quick like sample search of the emotions which is why I just thought of her but I also was thinking um with the song that you chose for to kind of inspire this podcast and the fact that I recognize the name of the group but not that song in particular mm. made me think about the old so, sort of like missing liner notes and missing pulling out the inserts of a cd case but the b-sides of things you know they remember like i mean the b-side song was almost it was it was the way some some music lovers now treat this you know new discovery online music soundcloud song they think no one's ever heard you know yeah everybody loves the a-side it's the single it's the drop the record the the, um, radio's playing it but if you get the album and you play the like you find the b-side that's usually the hidden gem because that's probably the one the artist really loves, but the record label didn't want to put it out as the single. Yep. And then it's the compromise. So, okay, let's put out um, Boogie One. No, let's put out, what is that other hit that they have? Um, you know, what's the emotions hit? Uh, Best of My Love. Mm-hmm. A side. Don't Ask My Neighbor is probably B side. Right. And it's probably and the and it's like those lyrics they were probably feeling it you know, um they wanted to release it it wasn't the record label's first choice but then I also started thinking about um other instances of B sides and how that relates to things that we do and make and sometimes the best things come from the B sides. I was gonna say I feel like I kind of perpetually exist on the B side. Mm. Like, I'm really not in tune with, um, like, pop sensibilities. Mm. Uh, So what labels typically push um, doesn't really do anything for me. And that's not to say that these things aren't good records or, you know, like, well-made or anything like that. But, like, the A-side always feels like it's selling me something or getting me to a place where I need to be ready to, to, to consume something, whereas the B-side always feels more comfortable with itself. Totally. As just as, as music, as feeling, as... Yeah, as, as something else. Um, and, and slower, sometimes, often. You're so right. It's often the slow jam of, yeah. of, the, of the A-B release, the A-side and the B-side. I yeah. I was thinking it makes me think about um the scene. Did you see the film Bohemian Rhapsody about no. Freddie Mercury? I did. 
Well, there's this scene when they're kind of, they've just sort of hit a, some fame and Freddie is super inspired and is suggesting Bohemian Rhapsody as the next release, the next single. And he's playing it in the record exec's office and it sounds like a weird operatic composition that goes, I don't know how long it is. I think it's like seven minutes or something. And they say to him, like, this is crazy. We can't even fit this on a record. And Freddie's like, we'll make half of it on side A and half side B. And he's like, no way, Freddie, no, this can't be an A side. You know, they say something to that effect. And it, it, it just made me think of that, like the way people think you can't push the boundaries for an A side. It has to be something super pop and easy to swallow. A very good friend of mine, Megan Marin, who's also an artist, was doing a residency at Veals in Brussels years ago. And she spent so much time in Brussels and she would we would talk on the phone and text and I was like, how's Brussels? How's it going? I'd ask her every time. And one time she said to me, you know, I figured out Brussels is like B-sides. Yeah. She's like, Brussels is like the B-side of every other big city. It's like a big city, but it's the B-side of the big city. And I thought that was so true. It's like a little, it's like Berlin's B-side. It's, it's, yes. I've never been to Paris, but it, I'm assuming that there's a... You're correct. I think it's something. the Paris B-side. Yeah. Um, and it definitely feels like a Berlin B-side to me. I love Berlin. And I also really, really deeply love Brussels. Um, you know, yeah. I don't love Brussels. I think, did you tell me you had a really interesting experience? I'm there? sure I've told you if you, if anybody would listen, I'm sure I would have told you if there was an opportunity yeah. where Brussels dropped in the conversation. I think you told me. Something. I hate it. I, I never yeah. want to go back to Brussels. Sorry, Brussels, wow. if you're listening. Um, gross, pardon? Good sprouts. Yes, very, very good sprouts. I have no hate for the sprouts. I I would, however, pay to never have to go back there. Um, yeah, it's I don't know. I I I'm of course I'm I'm I don't think I'm exaggerating actually. I I just really have always had really terrible experiences there. Yeah. Um, but you've been? Have you been to? I've been. I I went. Um. 2017 mm. um, when touring I work with a choreographer I used to do sound design with um, and I think we were in a pretty rarefied situation so felt taken care of how, how um, so? just like the, the venue and the festival that brought us out were, were great folks and they took oh, really good, good care of us and made sure that like the hotel wasn't too far from the space so that we didn't have to navigate too much of, you know, Western Europe and, and, and Brown and, you know, the whole, mm -hmm. the whole unit was like some degree of Brown, queer or trans. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of conversations that we might've been having in the States around any of that um, were very new at the time and, and, certain circles mm -hmm. in Western Europe. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it was just really nice to have either someone there as a little bit of a buffer or to not have to really go out into the unknown. Because um, yeah, I mean, there were some weird instances. That was a tour through through Western Europe and there were some weird instances and some weird, and some not very weird places actually. And by weird instances, do you mean racist or? Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Mm -hmm. so, well, so 
from my experience, racism, but I also perceived homophobia and transphobia. Oh. Um, mm-hmm. And, yeah. Yeah, shit gets weird. Shit gets weird. At least they don't have guns, I guess. I guess. I mean, is microaggression any worse than macroaggression? I truly have no idea. I don't know. Sometimes, I, I mean, at this moment, I would say no. I would say yes. Right. I would say See, I don't even know. I think that they're equal. Um, did you have another song on your email list that you sent? I did, yeah. I think I sent two other ones. But I think I took the first one back. Yeah, I think you did too. Um, the other one was like a gospel track. Do you remember what it was called? I think it, I think it was either How Excellent or Leaning on the Everlasting Arms. It was leaning, leaning on the other. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, I remember that title. Did Did you have it? Was it just the title, or was it by? Was it a particular cover? No, it was the like a very specific Timothy Wright the Third YouTube link. Um, because every other version of it that I found was not the version, you know, like everybody interpolates that song differently. Mm-hmm. Every choir director does it a little bit differently. Um, and the version that I grew up closest to was the, the version in that video mm-hmm. where there's like a choreography to it. Um, and it's a little like, it's, it's a little cool. A little cool. Like it's not like fully like removed from the cult, like from black culture. Mm-hmm. Like there's a, a hipness to it, I think. Did you feel, I mean, it's, I guess the emotion suggestion wasn't a direct link to gospel music since you, you didn't, or maybe weren't overtly aware that they started in gospel, but um, it sounds like gospel music was possibly quite influential in your childhood. But I'm a heathen. <laughs> <laughs> but then, goes, right? Yeah, but then you took it to rock and roll and hip hop. Right. And I mean, like, you know, the, the music is, is what always gets me. It's like that it's powerful music. Um, and I didn't really understand how or why it might be powerful until I was in, I truly hope this program still exists. Um, it was a program called Upward Bound. Mm-hmm. And they would take like potential first generation college students. Oh, I know so, this program. Right. So neither of my parents graduated from college. I don't think any of my um, immediate family had uh, graduated from from a four year institution at that point. So their idea was to like prep students. The entire program was black. Mm. Um, the one that I went to, uh, and just prep us to go to college and, and navigate that weirdness. We lived on Southern University's campus for like two months every summer. Um, and with that came activities. So step was one mm-hmm. that I got into, and choir was the other one that I sort of just got like pushed into. Because mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't know if you know how um, know about like the pushy benevolence of southern <laughs> southern folk. Um, Not firsthand, <laughs> <laughs> but I think um, somebody in the program saw saw how I was dressing and what I was listening to. 
thought that I needed a little bit of Jesus in my life, uh, so they put me in the choir. Oh boy, how <laughs> did you, I'm, did you go? You did not go gently, or did you? I mean, it was music. Yeah. So, you know, I wasn't ever comfortable, um, but it's hard not to feel something in a group of like fifty or sixty people who can really sing. Um, like being inside of that group. Mm-hmm. Not not in front of them listening to it, but like having that sound surround you. Um, like if I'm gonna get like a little woo about it, like that's God right there. Mm-hmm. Like that's the thing. Um, yeah. You also, I mean, you were into step. Like, did you did you step? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> are, we, are we gonna go here? I guess Do you have any here. videos of this? No, no, because oh. this was before this was before a time of ubiquitous video. Oh and, my and gosh! Photo. Um, yeah, oh I, 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 not only set, but I'm, I was very good at it, and, um, yeah, in wow. my, my undergraduate college days, I, I joined an organization, um, a black fraternal organization. Uh, initially excited about step but you know that there was a lot of other really great stuff that happened after i joined this fraternity yeah um, but yeah weird, weird life wow wow <laughs> good at step that was like my dream i mean i'm from i'm from canada i grew up in canada and i you know any sort of college experience that looked like what i saw on tv which included sororities and fraternities i i felt like they didn't exist in canada i realized later there were some around but i mean i i don't think the culture of that life is the same right I may just be have been completely oblivious to it, and that's very possible. No, but I mean, I don't even think it's the same in in the north. Um, and the organization that I'm a part of uh, started in in Ithaca, mm. um, but it just like you know, I've met people here who are members, and it's just like not the same. Um, it's not bad in any way, but it's just like I don't. Hmm. Is this is like the sense of um, brotherhood or sisterhood or camaraderie different? You think, or something about being a part of a a, a chosen family feels different in the south than the north? Or is there? I think I think that and the fact that like I it's, I joined a black organization, right? Um, so it's gonna be inherently um, more intense in the American South. I think. Not to say that like sure. shit doesn't pop off in the north and the Midwest and on the West Coast, but like you know, no, there's a reason black people feel strength in numbers in the South. Yes, that's different. Absolutely. That's different absolutely. than those in the North for sure. Um, um, and you know, I 
I didn't join at an HBCU, but the formative experiences I had with the organization that I would later go on to join did happen through HBCUs. Mm. Um, so, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I don't want to force you to say this, but are you omitting the organization on purpose? I'm just curious. No. Oh, okay. That's Not fine. A, no, no, no. It's uh, Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity Incorporated. Okay. Proud to shout them out. Um, did you, do you, oh man, I'm so, I just wish I could have seen you step, you know, I, I'll send you, there's like one photo from like, you know, when we came out, uh um, oh man, uh, and like, (laughs) oh, I think it was 2003, and I was such a baby, such a, such a little, like I still had baby fat on me. And just totally different world, totally different me, physically, I guess. Um, I mean, I'm so interested. I'm so interested in hearing about these stories because, as a super young, totally different me, also, I was just in awe of step culture, and it felt so far away from me. I mean, I was only able to experience it through, you know. Um, a different world episodes of a different world and the fresh prince of bel-air and um just like videos people would send me and we actually you know created our own uh, built like outlets for step when i was in high school (laughs) and i i used to want to be a choreographer and I, i did a lot of dance when i was younger before i um I mean, I was super poor, so at one point we had to stop. But, I mean, when I was able to go to even just community dance, I really wanted to learn how to choreograph and start doing my own dances. And, you know, even in high school and even in in undergrad, I guess, there's always a talent show, right? Mm -hmm. And I choreographed a step one year, and it was like I was so high off adrenaline. It went so well, and... You know, like the cat was in the cafeteria and everybody was going wild and it was so fun. But it wasn't real. It wasn't like a step off. Like there wasn't another crew to step and there wasn't any formal knowledge of it. I was really just basing it off of what I'd seen on TV. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that though. Yeah. Because, like, you know, I really deeply value. Um, my organization but at the same time there's like barriers to access that aren't just geographic um, or even financial um, Mm -hmm. to to these organizations Um, and they're very different very very different from from pan-hellenic organizations like white organizations Um, let me be very explicit in that Mm -hmm. but with like like anything with 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 college or with an educational institution there can be barriers to, to access um, so I think like however you gotta access it, like yeah. Um, did you wear did you wear your Alpha Phi Alpha shirt and sweatshirt and have all of the stuff in the scarf? That... I I had um, so I was uh, at this point in time I was really really poor. My family were all really really poor mm-hmm. and are typically still incredibly poor. Um, but like you know. 
I don't know how we came up with the money for me to pledge. I don't know if some folks decided to like waive some fees because that money just wasn't there. Mm. You have um, to pay to pledge. I didn't know that. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to pay. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't remember how much it was. I'm sure it's like, you know, in 2003 would be a pittance compared to what it is now. Mm-hmm. Um, but... <sighs> Um, yeah, I just, I'm glad that there are other ways that people can access it, um, cause it, it can't just be the divine nine as important as those organizations are as like black cultural organizations. You know, Martin Luther King was a member honorarily, um, Cornel West is a member of my organization. There are many, many, many people, black folks doing amazing work throughout history mm-hmm. who, who've been members of these organizations, but mm-hmm. also like. These are practices that go beyond the organization, so I'm, they they have to go beyond the organization. Right. Do you do you still keep in touch with any of anyone from Alpha Phi Alpha or anyone that you were that you had pledged with? Yeah. Um. I mean, they're all like true grown ups, adults with jobs and uh, families and responsibilities to things other than art and thinking um it's you're you're a true adult look i have to say that you are too because we all we have to be consider ourselves adults otherwise what else is there you're an adult you're you're right but you you know what i mean yeah i know very like um more traditional roles and not many of them make it up to new york very often i definitely do not go home very often Mm-hmm. Um, when I'm in DC, I see I see my brother Kendrick. Um, he's doing amazing work, and we've had some really funny conversations as 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 grown ups post college. Mm-hmm. Um, and other than that, I kind of you know I my my line brother Imad. When I'm in New Orleans, I'll reach out to him. Um, what 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 does line brother mean? I'm just that, educating. That means we pledge together. You pledge together, okay? Yeah. And my other LB, Greg, is doing some things. He's been doing some really big things, and I don't know, like, you know, how accessible he is. Mm -hmm. um, Because those are things that are, yeah, I can't really talk about them kind of things. Well, that's so Um, cool. It's not like illegal things in any way, like very, very important things. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Were you guys, did you have a a sister group? Uh Uh huh. Uh-huh. I I sound so. This is probably so boring for you. Or like, yes, Ebony. That's how sororities and fraternities work. But I really feel. Um, no, it's it's not. It's like it's actually interesting to have, or like really nice to have this conversation because growing up, I assumed that all of this was commonplace. Mm. Um. No, not really. Not for me. But I super. I was super interested in it. Or or I just um you know, fantasized at the idea of one being at an HBCU. Right. Um, uh, and two, pledging. And well, that was my question yeah, for you. Sure. Did, like, I don't know Toronto super well, even though I have somewhat of a history, but I, are there HBCUs? No. No. There are no, to my knowledge, no HBCUs in Canada. Which is weird because it's not like black folk are new there. 
it's true there there might be you know and i'm sure somebody will call me out on this i would there's pro there could be something in um nova scotia um and like the scotian history there i wouldn't be surprised if there was some um you know institution that was predominantly and historically black but nothing that pops out that i had learned about at least while living in that country you know nothing that had enough reach to present itself to me um as an option like it was i mean i knew about howard before i knew about anything you know anything in canada if it even exists to my knowledge it doesn't but it just seems so cool it was something did you did you live in a house did you all live in a house together was is that the only way you can do it or can you kind of no we didn't i i pledged at um like a commuter institution there mm-hmm. were no frat houses or sorority houses on campus mm-hmm. um there we did it off like there was a a citywide graduate chapter that had a house and that's where we all came together to do things <clears throat> um excuse me this is a photo of you on the left uh-huh. Uh-huh. <gasps> oh my goodness i wish people there was like i don't know here a vision is that is that a phrase here (laughs) this if you guys could see this photo this is you know i thank you for sending this jeremy this is exactly what i wanted to see and sort of what i was envisioning good wow how fucking adorable are you in this picture (laughs) (laughs) oh Maybe you look old. like you're twelve. Like you're like. School. I started college very young. Oh my gosh! Look at that face. Yeah. Um. It's so funny when you were describing Alpha Phi Alpha, I imme- I was envisioning something so bright in color, like lavender <laughs> with yellow or something. But for everyone listening, um, the colors are navy and gold. Is that right? No, they're black and gold. They're, oh, black and gold. A, oh, it's just a picture. Photo. Okay. Okay. Um, um, and we do have a sister organization. Um, it's um, Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority. Mm, okay. Incorporated and like, you know, very important, powerful humans are members. Uh, Senator Kamala Harris is a member. Um, mm. Say what you will about her record, but she's a sis. Um, and and yeah, like, it's it's kind of amazing to think about the people who are members of these organizations who go on to do really amazing things, but also the people who do amazing things in really like day-to-day uh, capacities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I wonder how annoying this is going to be for listeners who are probably the majority not Canadian and they're just going to be like, Ebony, yes, there are sorority and fraternities, but really th- if, if you think about it in the context of anybody who's not American listening yeah. to this or seeing from the outside, this, you know, cult like cult is not negative in this in this description, but I mean cult like structure. I mean, it's really a group of people pledging, and and almost you know you're you have to go through a, a little um, what is it like hazing to come in or you're <laughs> fair. I won't use that word. You have to go through a kind of application process. There you go. Um to join and then you're a member for life and it's just i'm really 
um, envious of people who had that experience. I think that had I been, had I grown up in the States, I don't think I know how, if I had grown up in the States, I would have wanted to pledge. And it's just funny to think about anyone who's not American looking in. I mean, imagine what someone from Brussels thinks about fraternities and sororities. Yeah. I mean, the really interesting thing for my, my line, um, and those are the three, the three of us in the photo that I sent you, Mm -hmm. um, the guy in the middle is, is Palestinian. Mm. Um, and you know, he, he lives in New Orleans. He's from New Orleans. He's a, he's a wardy like no other, or like so many others, actually. Mm. Um, but, but he's also like his family is deeply Palestinian, and he spent lots of time there um, growing up. And I mean, we talk about our organization, and I'm assuming all of the the Divine Nine, the Black Greek organizations, or like the original Black Greek organizations, all have some international or global presence. Oh, okay. Like even in 2003, <clears throat> they were referring to it as a worldwide organization. Um, but like I barely had internet, so I, I don't really, I didn't know what to make of that beyond the words. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, like without the cultural and social context, like it must seem so weird. Um, and then like, sometimes I walk around New York and like, I've seen like a young NYU student who's like, you know, very much likely got this shirt from uh, a thrift store or, like, a secondhand thing, like, wearing letters. Mm. Um, and, like, not really under like, that sort of thing in the South, at least when I was in undergrad, could get you in hot water. Oh, at really? Least having, yeah, at least having to defend... where you got it from why you're wearing it are you a member if you're not a member you shouldn't be wearing it um because these things mean things for sure Um, like you like you have to earn you have to earn the right to be able to wear them not just that but there's a responsibility of course right that Um, makes sense you know you can't be out here walking around chinatown faded hitting your jewel hitting your vape in letters (sighs) <laughs> this sounds like a very <laughs> particular like, sighting. Like this was like a supreme kid. Like this was, you know, like Yeezys yeah. and Supreme and like not a drop of melanin. Right. Um, <laughs> right. Where like right, wearing Alpha Phi Alpha. Right. And that isn't to say we don't have white members either. We definitely do have white members. But like it you know, not not that one. <laughs> <laughs> not that one. I'm also I was also really intrigued about the idea of joining groups like this because I felt really like so many young adults, you know, I have the cliche story of feeling really lost and I too I was the only person in both sides of my family to go to anything that looked like a college or university. Mm-hmm. Um and nobody nobody was involved in me selecting my institution, applying for it, figuring out how to fund it. You know, I, w- I really did it alone. And when I would see things like s- sororities, it felt it f- it looked like they were the kind of space for, you know, your second family, the support, making sure that everyone does well. I mean, you rarely hear and maybe this is just me experiencing it from 
you know, through screens and in, in various ways, but it seems as though the, the goal is for everybody to succeed as, as much as they can, which means it, it wouldn't benefit anybody should somebody be a dropout flunky. Like, isn't the goal for everyone to be hot, to, to raise themselves higher? I mean, I might just be reading into it wrong based on my higher no, learning, the movie higher learning knowledge. <laughs> I'm picturing Ice Cube looking at those fraternity right. white boys. Um, I mean, it's, it, you know, one of the things, it's, it's not just that. Like, my organism, like, Alpha Phi Alpha is very much known or considered to be, like, the brainy ones. Um, like every organization, every organization has some reputation or association. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes, you know, that, that goes a lot of different ways. Um, but I think even with organizations that put themselves forth as like, you know, the pretty boys or whatever, um, there is a consistent like, we're not trying to even across organizations we we spar back and forth. Mm-hmm. Um, like my uncle's a kappa. We before I even you know was able to come out, we were going back and forth. Um, like and like back like back and forth um, confrontationally. No, like, no, nah, nah, more like um like dozens. Okay. Like just snap. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um and. But like, you know, at the heart of it is like these are these are black organizations intended to in one way or another like make sure that the next generation of black folks have it better than the previous. Yes. Um, that's what it feels and, and, like. Yeah. And in that way, like, you know, we it isn't to say we didn't get our party on and didn't have our fun and things like that. But like the excess and the, the like, the ways in which masculinity is presumed to play out in, in non-black organizations, I didn't, I didn't experience it. Um, mm. Not to say that it doesn't exist anywhere, but I didn't experience it and didn't come across it, um, thankfully. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like, my high points were and this is before Katrina, I fledged in New Orleans. Um, mm-hmm. This was before Katrina. Uh, we were, you know, roofing houses in the lower night. We were showing up with, you know, trays and trays of food to feed home unhoused populations. Mm-hmm. Um, as a, as a like, house, as a group. As a group. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we, we, Alpha Phi Alpha, were doing that. And then across the city, Kappa, Kappa Alpha Psi were doing their own thing. Mm-hmm. And then across the city in another direction, uh, Delta Sigma Theta, we're doing their thing, or Omega Sci-Fi, you know, like, it's a big, it's a big city where we don't all need to work on one community. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Did yeah, you, yeah, did yeah. you, do you talk to each other about stuff like that, or is it really every house for themselves? I, I was not involved in that sort of conversation. Okay, fair, um, fair. At the time, I was considered a GDI, a goddamn individual. Um, is that the ter- is that the acronym that you get when you're in there? Uh, that's what you get when like you know I, I even now like I don't go out to a lot of social things. I keep mostly to myself. I'm in some books. I'm you know 
chilling, doing the low key thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you know, when when they wanted to go out to the club, I'd be like, oh, I want to sit at the house and, <laughs> or sit, sit in my dorm and do some homework and watch Chappelle show. Um, that's so funny that's, because that's as, what the year was. as I was looking at this most amazing photo of you and your LBs, look at me, I'm already catching the lingo. Uh, um, I'm really infatuated and intrigued, and not infatuated, but I'm very intrigued by this um, your, this storytelling, so I, I'm super into it. But I was thinking about, well, I was, no, sorry, as I was looking at this photo of you and your LBs, I was clicking through, like I went to click back to the other photo you sent, and I was looking at all of the memes we were sending each other through quarantine. <laughs> um, and for everyone listening, it was after Jeremy had sort of, you know, we were talking about like you know quarantine life and just checking in with one another it was really nice we had a socially distant hang and I remember you saying you know like this is just this is just like my norm like everybody's everybody's quarantining and saying that they're just like chilling at home and have to stay in and I'm like this is what I do yeah I've been doing that so we started um sending each other hilarious memes um about just that and there's one where it says, when you find out your normal daily lifestyle is called quarantine. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've sent a few of, I think I've forwarded a few of those to Nikita too. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Um, you know, Jeremy, that feels like a good place to stop. I, cause you know, I, if I'm, if I'm being honest, I could, and maybe you and I can going. speak offline about the, you know, alpha phi alpha life and what that means i mean one question i have is did you guys have like social social gatherings or socializing functions with your sister houses was it like you did yeah 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 yeah. it's very much like you know that's a definite cross crossover that happens is like the two organizations every like organization has a partner organization Mm mm-hmm um, and they're always in very deep dialogue. Um, I'm excited to see what the future holds because, like, fuck gender. Mm-hmm, for real. Or, you know, like, fuck gender rigidity. So, like, what does it mean for our organizations that have been on the front lines of progressive battles in America for the last... My organization was the first created uh, for the last 100 and about to be 14 years. Holy shit. Um so, like, what happens when, like, the terrain is changing and we we have to adapt and should adapt um, to, I mean, the world, this has always been there in the world, but now it's, like, a conversation that literally no one can or should afford to, to avoid mm-hmm. anymore. And I'm, like, so excited to see these organizations have to show up. Yeah. Well, like you can't, you know, it didn't end at the civil rights done uh who are you telling <laughs> my bad yo my i got bad. i got texting me that i'm a segregationist i'm like i got some crazy shade coming from all um, from all sides and all shades but um Hold, go, let, let's end this because i want to spend 10 minutes talking about this okay yeah let's end this we're gonna yeah. end this and we can talk together because i'm gonna take this offline thank you for joining this episode was brought to you by Jeremy Toussaint Baptiste.